The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Tip City Public Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program today Gwen Agna. She joins us on the telephone in Northampton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the program, Gwen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Gwen, you have a new book out that you uh, wrote with Shelley Rotner. She took photographs for it. And uh, it's called Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. What led you to write something like this? Well, I retired recently from being a principal of an elementary school in Northampton, and we had refugees come to our school through the Catholic Charities Program. We had uh, children from Burundi, and originally Congo. We had children from Afghanistan and from Ukraine. And um, I realized that their voices needed to be heard, the children themselves, because they talked about it some, about their experiences. And I know the power of children's books and how that can help everybody understand experiences. So Shelley and I got together and said, this is the one we want to write after the one we wrote before, which was called True You, A Gender Journey, which was about children exploring their identities. And these photos, are these... uh kids from your school or from somewhere else? They're from my school, from um, all over the Pioneer Valley. We, we kept pretty local this time, but there were lots of kids who have moved in to our area under the auspices of the Catholic Charities, and they've had a lot of great support and um, are enrolled in schools. Why is this such a crucial issue? Um, I think for, well, the refugee generally is a very crucial issue in terms of our country. I think right now we're poised to think of, of immigrants and refugees as possible, um, possibly people we don't want to have to come to our country. At least some people on the right feel that way. I think that we educators and citizens feel differently about that, and we want to show the positive aspects of bringing in and welcoming immigrants and refugees to our country. And immigrants, whether they're illegal or legal, as you indicated, uh, mm-hmm. there's some objections. Uh, this is probably the main wedge issue uh, in this upcoming election, I think. If, if you had to pick yeah. one beyond abortion, beyond uh, gender, beyond mm-hmm. uh, banned books, this mm-hmm. is the wedge issue that I think a lot of people are looking at, and they're trying to prohibit these people who are escaping from wars, from uh, changing climate, from uh, poverty. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to keep them out. They're being demonized. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I was, I was born in Southeast Asia. My parents were um, working for the Public Health Service, and I was brought up to think that the global community was one that we all belong to and that I really um, embraced as a child and then growing up and understanding what multiculturalism, which it used to be called, 
brought to our country. And in fact, our country is a land of immigrants. And the fact that we are in a situation now where we're rejecting that image and that identity is very disturbing to me. And I, I know practically even that we don't have enough people for jobs in our country. And I know that in Britain, they are actually letting in immigrants and refugees even though they were um, some of the right, on the right in England are hopeful that they would not be doing that through Brexit, but they are because they need the workforce. And I think ethically, morally, and practically, it's really important that we start to um, change our view, or at least those who have that a negative view, that it, it only will bring good things to our country and enhance our world. I knew your parents, uh, Mary and Jim, yeah. Jim Agna, uh-huh. and, and I'm, uh-huh. I, am I going to be correct in guessing that you were born in uh, what was formerly known as Burma? Yes, I was born in Rangoon, Burma, which is now called Myanmar. And do you have any memories of, of being in Burma? How old were you when, when they moved away? Oh, I was only about one. Okay. Um, and so what I, my memories were all that they shared with me. But I was fortunate to be able to go visit before they passed away. Both my parents are no longer here. But I did get a chance to go to Myanmar and go to where I was born and my and the hospital and retrace a lot of their steps and then come back and talk with them and show them my pictures of the current state of affairs in Yangon. And it, was, it really meant a lot to me and to them that we could sort of bring that circle to a close. Gwen Agna joins me, and her book is Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. Uh, she wrote it with Shelley Rotner, who took these beautiful photographs of these wonderful, uh, effervescent children. Mm. Tell, tell us how you decided to uh, set the book up the, the way that you did. Well, I think um, we had the idea originally when we did our book, True You, that we wanted to bring the children's voices to the page with those beautiful photographs. Shelley is an extraordinary photographer, and she's able to capture who they are and also tell them that that we wanted to hear their voices. So my job was to watch her take the photographs, show the photographs to the children, and then ask them what they wanted to say about it. And um, it worked for True You, and we thought, well, the next thing we wanted to address in a topical way, a sort of a journalistic way, was the fact that there were all these children and their families who were coming to our country and coming under very difficult circumstances. But my experience has been that they've brought so much joy and happiness, partly because they're just so relieved to get away from the stress and the, the violence and the terror that they were experiencing and partly because they already were aware of the United States and thought it was pretty thrilling to come to the United States. As we peruse the book and uh, see these photos, you've arranged it so that you have a photo of a child or children, and there's a a balloon like you'd have uh, out of a cartoon, and Mm -hmm. they're saying something, uh, this young girl is saying, one day there was everyone, and the next day there was almost everyone no one we had to go to. Are these exact quotes from them? Yes, they are the exact quotes. And that's what in the in the trade and education they're called speech bubbles. Mm. And we wanted to employ that technique because that is a, one that the children who read books like to see. They like to see children's voices 
in their speech bubbles, and these are all words that are in the speech bubbles that the children said, and it was pretty astounding, astonishing to be standing there with them speaking their truth that way and feeling and doing it sort of calmly in a way. One of them told us about how her father in the airport at in Afghanistan and that craziness that we saw in the news where the the plane was taking off and people were hanging on uh-huh. that their her father was one of those and had to stay back and you know again very matter of factly telling us that and another child from Burundi who'd been his mother had been in the refugee camp since she was 6 they were from Congo and her, all her kids were born in the refugee camp but they had to leave their father behind and I said, so when does he get to come? And they said, oh, probably five years or so. And just so matter-of-factly, you know, the the bravery and the courage that these children have and the resilience is just astonishing. You're listening to The Book Nook on 91.3 WYSO, connecting our community through news, music, and storytelling on the air and online. I've been joined on the program today by Gwen Agna, and we're talking about finding home, words from kids seeking sanctuary which just came out, and I was reading it, and I kept thinking about this whole refugee crisis and how it's it's worldwide. There are 100 million refugees out there, and a lot of them are trying to come in through our, our southern border, and, and many of these refugees, you might think they're from Mexico, but they're from all over. They're from Venezuela. They're from mm-hmm. Honduras. They're they're from Guatemala. They're they're coming from everywhere. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, we have all all these jobs that are mm-hmm. not being filled. And a lot of the jobs that they are willing to do, these immigrants, are jobs that we don't want. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like working in meatpacking houses and, and putting yeah. putting roofs on houses, and there's just all these occupations, uh, tree cutting, a lot of them dangerous. And I yeah. just saw a thing in the New York Times about how a lot of these children are working illegally. Are you familiar with this situation? Yes, definitely. I mean, we're I think being in Massachusetts, where we have very strict laws about ch- child labor, we're we're fortunate to be able to protect children until they're of age to get a job. But I certainly have read myself in other states that have had children in meatpacking um, factories and other ways. And, you know, they're so vulnerable at this point, and their families are, and they're so desperate to have a job that they're willing to overlook the fact that they, you know, these children are too young for this. But again, I'm so happy that we live in a state that really protects the children, and it's really welcoming. You know, we've we've had a few busloads of children coming and families from Texas and Florida for those governors who thought they would um, stick it to us being a sanctuary state. And, you know, they've unloaded a bunch of refugees in Massachusetts, but our governor, Governor Healy, has pledged support, and you know we we don't agree with the way that the southern governors are taking this stance, but we know our obligation is to protect these people. That would be uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who wants to be our our next president. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. yeah, it's really um really unfortunate that I I hope that he doesn't have a chance, but on the other hand, what has a chance. It's not something we want to welcome either. (laughs) 
Didn't DeSantis send a, a load of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard of all places? Yes, yes, they did. They unloaded in Martha's Vineyard, a very small island off the coast of Massachusetts, which, again, rose to the challenge. It was very impressive to see how they just said, well, this wasn't the right thing to do, but we're not going to blame these poor people for having been pawns in this political game. We are seeing this happen, and, and it's like they're treating these people like they're they're not humans. Oh, I know. I, and, you know, I think that hopefully this book, our book, will humanize these children more so for those who may not see them as human or may not just be able to relate to them because they are children and they're doing childlike things, playing on playgrounds and talking about doing art and writing. And, you know, they're just children, like all of our children. And we want to make sure that this gives that message to people when they read it. And the other thing I meant to mention is the back matter of our book. We have taken um, some research in the topics that we have done, which uh, go along with the gender topic and this topic, we've put together a glossary of terms and we've put some resources for people who are either in the refugee situation or wanting to help refugees. And then also the psychologist in our town who had done therapy for some of these children wrote a wonderful piece, Cynthia Monahan because she had so much experience in talking with these families and helping them adjust to this big change. And I'm really proud of that part of our book, too, because it helps educators and any adults who are reading this book with children to um, further help them understand the plight and the experience of immigrants. Gwen, you just hit on something that I was about ready to ask you about when you mentioned uh, therapy, because Mm -hmm. when you say these kids are just like our kids, in a way— they're different, though, because a lot mm-hmm. of them have undergone and experienced yes. horrifying things. Yes. They have. And that it is we don't underestimate the challenge that we have as educators and also as a therapist to try to help them work through the trauma that they've experienced, you know, what they've witnessed, what they are experiencing, what they've left behind, their identities, you know that's that you need very you really need experts who have experience with immigrant families or refugee families in understanding the the level of trauma that they have had experienced and then you know how you can possibly help them become more stable some of them respond beautifully and are very um intact as far as their development and they've had good relationships with their families, and they really haven't had as much trauma, but some of the children that were in my school had witnessed horrendous things, their whole village being burned down and people being killed, and what that must do to a child in everyday life in in Northampton, Massachusetts, we just couldn't imagine. Well, the resilience of children is one of the Mm -hmm. truly amazing things, and you uh, have all these speech bubbles that just mm-hmm. really touch us as, as we're reading the book. And this uh, little girl says, it was sad to say goodbye. I miss my father. He isn't mm-hmm. here yet. Sometimes I cry. I hope he comes mm-hmm. home soon. Mm-hmm. Broken broken families and, and yes. so much yes. suffering. And, and 
yet they're, they're so resilient. What kind of reactions have you been getting? I know the book just came out from kids and from the big kids, the, the adults. From it? From the book Yeah, itself. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, it's been very positive. We actually just got a gold standard award from the Junior Library Guild, which is a prestigious award. Um, and we're very happy about that because it will mean that it will get more exposure for, for sure. Um, and we've had some online um, good reviews of it and notice in Publishers Weekly about it. So we're just hopeful, you know, it's, it's less about the sales of it and more about just getting the, the message out there because we've found in our research you have to do comparable research when you're writing a book, and we found that there weren't any books that had the children speaking about their experience. They were more sort of technical and theoretical and from the adult point of view. And this was the first one that we could find that we really heard the voices of the children speaking about their experience. And we're hopeful that it will reinforce and affirm those who are out there and also schools who are welcoming these students and wanting to have tools to understand how to do that. I hate to lower the level of our discussion, but but I want to talk about marketing and okay. the fact that you're published by an imprint of HarperCollins is, is very uh, impressive and also hopefully gives you the ability to get the book into libraries and schools mm-hmm. and, and get it widely distributed. What was the process? Uh, how did you get a contract uh, for the book? Uh, do, did you have an agent that, that went out there and got it for you? How did this all work? Yes. Um, when I first joined with Shelley to write the previous book, True You, we both decided that it was probably time to get an agent. And I was surprised that um, Shelley hadn't had an agent, given that she's written over 50 books in similar kinds, but not not in this journalistic way with the speech bubbles and everything. So she um, put the feelers out, and we got a wonderful agent through um, Great Dog Literature, I think it's called, um, Liz Nealon. And she really took us under her wing and helped us to uh, sell the book. And what happened was both True You and Finding Home ended up going to auction because of people, other people wanting to publish it. And so we didn't really go through that process the second time, but the first time we did when HarperCollins, the imprint Clarion Books, wanted us and gave us a, a good package. And we were very pleased with that and with our contract. And um, it's, I think that we're hoping that Another book that we've just written that they're considering right now will be also published. This one is on climate change and children's voices about their feelings about a world that is is either burning up or drowning. How thrilling. That's got to be the the fantasy of any author to actually have publishers vying for the rights to publish your book at auction. That's just like a, a dream, isn't it? I know, and I, you know, it's my first book, and I was just shocked that um, this would happen. But, you know, in some ways, I think there hasn't been this kind of journalistic approach with children and children's voices about things that matter to them. I think some people underestimate what children are thinking about and what they can say and advocate for. And I, I knew that when I was the principal, that they were there, they knew what was going on, and it was time to hear their voices. 
I'm also impressed that, that Shelley put out all those books and didn't have an agent until now. Right. That's a, how, did she, how did she do that? You know, there's a real large community of authors in our area, um, and she's a part of a, a book group and her author's book. And um, I think that through the grapevine, she was able to do get those publishers. And, you know, she it is a unique approach in hers in that these are photographs instead of illustrations. And mm-hmm. she reports that over time, it's come to become more accepted for a while when she started out. Everyone wanted illustrators. But um, the power of these photographs is just, you can't even imagine how, especially for children to see people like them and hearing voices, I think that she she's really tapped into something that's so critical. Well, if I could force the issue, if I could force Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis and Donald yeah. Trump to read this book, mm-hmm. I don't see how they could read it without thinking maybe they're mistaken. Yeah. We actually considered sending it to them, and maybe we still will, but... Um, we also don't want to waste a book on them. We're so happy that the Library Guild has taken us under their wing because they're going to be purchase, purchasing 5,000 copies and sending them around to libraries. So hopefully somehow it will get to their attention. I'm not sure it would have any impact, but who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. they're not hearts of stone as we think they are. Mm. A moment ago, you mentioned this next book you're, you're pitching mm-hmm. is about climate change. Mm-hmm. Is this something you've already written, or is it just a proposal? Yeah, yeah, we've written it. Um, we've actually written two books that we're hoping to sell. One, the climate change book, and then we've written one about mindfulness called Just Breathe. Um, because when I was principal, we had a mindfulness aspect to all that we did so that there were children who learned how to meditate and breathe. And um, when things were stressful or just different times of the day, we would pause and have a of breathing time. And so when Shelley and I were talking again about other books, I said, I think we need to do one about mindfulness and the, the incredible tool that it is for, for humans. Okay. I know you haven't sold these books, but I'm optimistic nope. that you will. Let's talk about those two subjects. Uh, let's talk about okay. climate change. Why is this so important to you to, to have a book about that? It's important for us to hear from children again, as I said several times, that when I was principal and now still since, you know, I have a granddaughter who's 11 who is really kind of terrified at the thought of what the world is happening, what is happening in our world in terms of the temperatures rising and the water rising, and she's very aware of it. And so, um, you know, she's one example of many children who I've spoken to who are conscious of this and are trying to be activists even as young children to let the grown-ups know that this they don't want this to happen. They're the ones who are going to inherit this world, and they're very concerned about it and concerned that perhaps the adults aren't paying enough attention to it. So that was why I said to Shelley, Let's, we've got to do one on, on the climate issues, because if they have the voice that they had in these other two books that could be powerful, it will be another way for the adults to know what children need. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Gwen Agna. She and Shelley Rodner just published Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. And um, 
I knew your parents, as I mentioned before, and uh, just mm-hmm. treasured them. And mm-hmm. your dad, whenever I'd see him downtown, I wanted to know what was going on in town. I'd, I'd ask him because he, he knew everything. He would always come downtown to get his New York Times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know a lot about your family. And currently our governor, Mike mm-hmm. DeWine, is uh, a former U.S. senator from Yellow Springs. And mm-hmm. I understand that when you were a kid— you lived in a, a house that was built by another former senator from Yellow Springs, Simeon Fess. What What are your yeah. memories of growing up in Yellow Springs? Oh, such good memories of growing up in Yellow Springs. I, I feel so lucky to have had that experience in the time that I was there in the late 50s and, and all in the 60s. I graduated from Yellow Springs High School in 1970. So I experienced all the turmoil and um, exciting activism that happened in Yellow Springs then and also happened around the world in our in our nation, too. Um, I felt it was, as Hillary Clinton called her book, It Takes a Village, it really was a village that raised me. And my parents knew that when they decided to move to Yellow Springs, that they had done a lot of research about the kind of community it was. And for them, it was really important to have an integrated community, one that would, had people of all races and ethnicities and cultures living together. And, um, you know, it, it, it felt pretty ideal then, pretty um, a, a kind of a role model for the rest of the world. I know that things have changed somewhat, and I know that the cost of housing has gone up, and I know that it's not the same in terms of the racial integration, but... There's still a core in Yellow Springs, and I, I just, um, my children and my grandchildren know Yellow Springs, too, because we we stayed connected with my fa- my parents when they were still alive, and now my sister still lives there, so we continue to make our pilgrimage back to Yellow Springs. Well, I remember your dad would always fill me in on accomplishments by his, uh, his children, by his uh, mm-hmm. grandchildren. He'd say, oh... Mm-hmm. My son just wrote a routine for this famous comedian, or uh, my grandson and his band just put out a new album, and, and I have mm-hmm. to think he would be so proud of you. Oh, I, I appreciate you saying that, Rick, and it does make me feel a little sad to think about the fact that they're not around to, to hear this, but I, I just have to have faith that there's a, there's a point in this world to us carrying on, and I feel like I'm carrying on their legacy as much as I can. They were really amazing people. Well, I know how excited he would have been to know that you were on this program. Yeah, it's exactly. I told my sister in the Yellow Springs, I said, I'm going to be on the book nook. So, because at least there's somebody still there who's part of our family. Nice. And also my, my nieces and nephews live there too. So sure. we still have connections. Do you have any memories of WYSO? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, there were, I have to admit that I kind of hung out at the college in my later high school years because I, I needed to have a bigger, you know, there were only 76 kids in my class. So, um, I kind of got to be friends with some Antioch students and the coffee shop was a place where there were dances and then Wiso was right upstairs. And sometimes some of the DJs would invite us up to talk with them and it was very loose and very very, um, I don't know, I guess organic would be the word, um, what YSO was at the time. But 
I, you know, I always look to it as the kind of great community radio that we would hope that other communities would have. Um, and it, it just, I have really great memories of WISO. Well, I, when I came to town, they were still in the student union. And, oh, they were? Uh-huh. Yeah, and the C shop was still there and the, the uh-huh. free box. And I have great memories of, of free form uh, community radio on WISO. Yeah. Well, it's really been a pleasure having you on the program, Gwen. Thank you so much. Oh, Vic, it's been really, really delightful. And I really appreciate your taking time to hear about our book. The book is Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary by Gwen Agna and Shelley Rotner. You heard about it on the Book Nook for the Book Nook. I'm Vic McEwnis. <laughs>